Hello and welcome to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. My name is Dan Dimitate, and I'm joined here in studio with my good friend and brother in Christ, Aaron Richards. Hey, Hello, everybody. Aaron. We are going to have an awesome show for you today. We have a great guest that we're excited about. But before we jump into the encounter with Jesus Christ, we want to open in prayer, which is the greatest encounter. So, Aaron, can you open us? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, you are so good, and you've provided such good direction for us, Lord. Thank you for the, the mission that you've called us to, and for constantly giving us good example of how we can say yes and how we can see our lives transformed as they come into greater agreement with your plan for us. Yeah, Lord, we just pray that today's show would bless families everywhere, that I pray pray that all listeners um, would just have a deeper and more profound encounter with Jesus Christ. We pray for all married couples today, Mm -hmm. Lord, that you would just convict more married couples to live lives of radical holiness, that they would um, move beyond complacency and the American dream, and they would discover your dream for their marriage and for their family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Aaron, what do you got for us today? We've got an awesome guest today. Paul Baum was a youth youth group kid back when Dan and I started youth ministry at St. Agatha and St. Andrew, and his story of conversion starts with him, leads to his family, and ultimately into an amazing life on mission. I can't wait to get started with Paul today. Um, Paul's, Paul is uh, just an amazing communicator of the gospel, and, and he, he and Megan are doing amazing work down in Portsmouth. So it's our great joy to have them on the show today. Um, this is a, a personal treat for us as well, and uh, I'm sure it will be for you. Yeah, I think a, a challenge for our listeners before we bring Paul on is just that, um, you know, how not not have I given enough, but what more can I give? That that question of how can I give more to you, Lord, and Amen. how can we give us everything? And, and Paul's just an example of when he first encountered Jesus Christ, he was all in. Um, when he first encountered the Catholic Church, he became all in. And then when he got married, he and his wife were all in. So I pray that all of our listeners today will be all in. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll welcome our good friend, Paul Bomb. You're listening to Encounter, a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I have a new book called I Am. It's about stopping negative, self-defeating self-talk and replacing it with the life-giving, uplifting words God says about you. After all, you're his child who he found worth dying for and who he destined for eternal glory. One sad obstacle I've encountered from church-going folks to this book is the idea that God wants us to beat ourselves up. They think it's holy to put themselves down, to say, I'm just dirt, I'm nothing. After all, at every Mass we say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Well, that's true, but you need to remember what happens within moments of you saying you're not worthy. The God of the universe comes to you in Holy Communion. God replies, I declare you worthy, not because you have it all together, but because you're mine. True humility is reality, friends. And the reality is you need to start living, thinking, and carrying yourself like you have royal blood. Because believe it or not, it's true. For more from my book, I Am, visit rewriteyourname.com. I'm Chris Stefanik from Real Life Catholic. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. More to Life is about living the Catholic difference in our marriages, our families, the way we approach life in general. It's about celebrating life and our Catholic faith and discovering all the ways God wants to bless us. 
and help us be a blessing to others. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak, weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. How about this? Apple TV allows you to instantly stream EWTN to your TV. Get EWTN today. It's easy. All you need is a high-speed Internet connection, a TV, and the Apple TV player. Hello and welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people and launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. So, uh, Aaron, we have uh, here with us on the show today our good friend, and uh, he's been a missionary with Adore Missionaries for a number of years. Yeah. We are excited to hear the life-changing encounter of Mr. Paul Baum. Hey, welcome man. to the Paul, show, Paul. Welcome to the show. Yes. <laughs> Once the, again, a little I'm disclaimer so that... Yeah, Paul, I've been I've been deeply invested in Paul's future. Paul Paul is one of the success stories of my 12-year career in youth ministry here in the Diocese of Columbus. So, I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I'm like that's is a loose term. This is how you it. I don't know if I can share this publicly, but uh back when I was a very immature youth minister, I used to um rate myself on a scale of how many like successful people graduated from my ministry. So we had theorized about a point system where like a successful, a successful religious vocation would be worth like five points. (laughs) Successful ministry marriage would be worth a couple points. (laughs) How many points did you get? Lifetime mission family. (laughs) I thankfully Jesus intervened and I never actually added up my points, but I had two, I had two youth ministry friends who would compete to see who could get more kids at youth group or more kids on retreats. And it actually became this like bad competition between the two of them where they started to like get angry at each other. And they're like, all right, this is no longer of the Lord. Let's stop. Yeah, well, that's seriously, good. It's like, that's a real temptation. And I think I've learned that in the last five years of, of working in youth ministry. It, it's so easy to start playing the comparison game, even to yourself, as opposed to the faithfulness game of like, hey, am I actually just being consistent with the Lord, like intimate with Him and and loving these people? Or like, am I just trying to make it about like my success? It's it's so funny. But it's so easy. Like, it's so easy to say not to do that, but it is, it's a real like um, challenge to, and a gut check to like make sure that you're being intimate um, with Him and not just trying to be influential, you know? Well, as long as you don't have a, a, a you know a point a point total on your refrigerator, I think you're in you're in good shape. <laughs> All right, Paul. Well, welcome to the show, man. We we're blessed to have you. Yeah, Paul. Why don't why don't we? Uh, so we'll start at the beginning with you, but um, but I, I'd love to hear kind of as we set the stage. What are you doing now? Um, you you are working in Portsmouth, Ohio, and wh- what what's kind of your primary ministry responsibility today? Yeah, so as, as Dan said, um, my wife, Megan, and I, um, and our three kids, we'll include them in this, um, mm-hmm. we live as uh, domestic missionaries with Adore Ministries. That's a, uh, that's a great terminology uh, to know, too. I know the, the yeah. missions up at Damascus, a lot of times, we, we, uh, we, in our first year of support raising for mission work up there, one of our missionaries was... Uh, was, get, was granted mission support, assuming that she was going to be serving in Damascus, Syria, because there's still a uh, there's still a, a, um, commonly held perception that that mission work is only for third world countries or for overseas or 
and that's not the case. So, so that terminology you used, what was it? Dome- domestic missionary. Yeah, domestic missionary. And, and I think to your point, Aaron, like when we read, uh, in, I think it's Redemptoris Missio, paragraph 33, uh, St. Pope John Paul II talks about how that is the classical understanding of missions, right? The mission agentis, the mission to the whole world, to those yep. people who never heard the name of Jesus. Um, and he adds um, this category of people who lost, who have lost a living sense of the faith um, to those who are part, part of the mission field now. And so really, and I, I'm sure people who listen to the show would agree, and I've experienced in my own life, like, that's a lot of us, right, in the Church right now. And so um, it's certainly not as epic um, as the mission ad gentes, but it is definitely as important and, yeah. um, I think, as, as re- like fruitful um, as something like that as well. So, well, and it's, it's from that same spirit that we even get the terminology behind the concept of new evangelization, right? Exactly, yeah, right, right, right. So that's where it comes from. That is new evangelization, um, period. So... Yeah. But yeah, so Adore is uh, based out of Houston, Texas. It was started um, around the time of Hurricane Katrina by a guy named Paul George. Um, and then uh, in the 2010s, uh, it was taken over as president by a guy named Eni Hickman, who's uh, known from Steubenville conferences, things like that. And then recently we've had a transition, um, and now uh, there's another really awesome um, guy named Jonathan Alexander, uh, who's now the president, um, and our primary mission is to work in communities that do not have the resources for full-time uh, lay uh, pastoral care. Um, so my wife and I fundraise part of our salary, mm-hmm. essentially, to work for the parish and to provide um, resources for people in the parishes. So I work for, um, work, we call it Scioto Catholic, it's a four-parish consortium down here in Scioto County, yeah, and um, we do kind of a lot, everything except the sacraments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good thing. Uh, yeah, I do not want to be a priest uh, or, or clerical, but we're just, because we are truly lay, lay missionaries, right? Yeah. Um, so we're not trying to be a priest, we're not trying to be clerics, we're trying to be a family on mission, yep. and what that looks like for us is uh, I do, I'm the director, we're co-directors of catechesis and evangelization. I primarily do youth discipleship, um, as well as working with uh, some of our men's groups. Uh, my wife uh, primarily works with um, adults, um, right now women in particular, but she does a lot of the organizational um, and administrative stuff for us. Um, but she's like also the engine, I think, of, of faith and prayer that uh, keeps our family like focused on mission. Um, yeah. So she, yeah, I mean, she's... Well, and, and Megan's been on the show before. Um, yeah, yeah. And ironically, Megan actually was, was in professional ministry before you were. Yeah, and exactly. uh, so there's been a, a little bit of a shift there. But she's, yeah, Megan's a, a close friend and um, just an amazing, amazing apostle. Um, yeah. So I love I love the work that you guys are doing. Uh, Paul, um, you, and, you and Megan actually were up to visit my family recently, and we, in the midst of conversation, uh, my wife Monica acknowledged that the two of you really kind of answered a call toward missionary life as a family before it was cool, before Damascus existed. You know, <laughs> today, uh, today mission work is, is the foundation of a lot of the ministry that's coming out of Damascus. Um, we have, I think, 
this summer we'll have 150, maybe close to 160 missionaries will be serving with us on campus at Damascus in in the work of Catholic Youth Summer Camp, ministering to the close to 4,000 kids will be with us. And uh, additionally, we have 43 now um, young adults who will be serving year-round uh, with us starting next fall. And, you know, I have oft said that my goal in life is to is to raise a, a little missionary family out there in Centerburg, Ohio, and we're seeing that um, that vision become a reality. But you guys really answered that call to missionary family and missionary life even before it was on my radar, before it was on our radar, and uh, certainly want to just want to honor you and and Megan again for that. But I want to hear the story starting from the beginning, and I think our listeners will be so blessed. Uh, kind of what, what's been your personal journey? I've, once again, I've known Paul all the way back to, uh, to, to high school when, um, you were just flirting with the idea of engaging in deep relationship with Jesus. And I'd love to hear how that transitioned from kind of those initial encounter moments with the Lord through high school youth ministry and on into, uh, answering a call to mission, um, through your vocation and, and through your work now into what you're doing today. Yeah, I'd love to share that. So I kind of break it up into three different parts. Uh, the first part is my initial conversion. Like so many people and so many people that you've had on your show, I grew up nominally Catholic, uh, and we stopped going to Mass after I received confirmation, uh, which was my eighth grade year. And my seventh and eighth grade year in, in school was, was uh, pretty... Uh, horrible. Um, I was genuinely bullied, like, before bullying became a buzzword or, or things like what we see in schools right now, the awareness of bullying and trying to prevent that. Um, and there are a lot of different reasons for that, but I was emotionally, like, uh, verbally and, and physically abused uh, or bullied in school. And so when I got to confirmation time and, and my life in the church, really didn't change any of that. It, it really didn't affect my life, so it, I didn't really even think about it or, or approaching God um, mm-hmm. in that pain in that situation. But he, I think, because he is the best, <laughs> obviously, really watched out for me in his providence. Um, so by the end of my eighth grade year, I was just a really broken person and, and had very little sense of myself or, or even my in, in dignity. Um and so in between my summer of eighth grade year and my freshman year of high school, we actually moved um, houses, and I met a kid who was my neighbor who would invite me over to play Halo. My mom, <laughs> my mom wouldn't let me play Halo. Rightfully uh, <laughs> so. Gosh, mom, let me play Halo. my Halo. So my first point is that, like, the Lord even works through our disobedience. Like, it's no excuse to be disobedient, but he's still <laughs> merciful. Even in our disobedience. Oh, man. Um, I didn't know that part of the story. I would not have invited you. <laughs> yeah. on. It, it was Aaron who invited you to play Halo, wasn't it? <laughs> Shout out. This guy's name is Chris Hostetler. He is a police officer in Columbus right now. Uh, he's, he's awesome. He's just a solid dude. Um, so, Chris, if you're listening, thank you for responding to Jesus. But he invited me to a Bible study, and I met guys there that I was like 15 guys. And, and they all treated me with respect uh, and really authentically showed me what it meant to be loved um, by other people. 
at a time in my life where that was the one thing that I craved more than anything else. Yep. And it was there through them that I first encountered the love of God. Um, it truly is like when the Lord says, they'll know you are my disciples by your love. Yeah. Like, that really was what I experienced in that Bible study. Amen. Um, it was a Protestant Bible study, and I'm grateful for that because I really, what we would do is just hang out, play basketball or some frisbee or something like that, and for an hour, and then for another hour we just talk about the Bible and go yeah. through it. What's Let- interesting is I never defined myself, though, by, by any other thing than Catholic. I was the yeah. Catholic kid. I made sure that. But it, what's funny about that is I had no real connection to it. I liked Jesus but I had no even clue who he was. Um, and I liked the church, but I had no clue what that actually meant. So I just, I said I was Catholic, but I really had no idea what that meant looking back. Yeah. Um, I, I want to um, interject real quick. I think a lot of our, a, a lot of Catholic parents um, m- would probably throw up a, a really, uh, a, a caution flag at the idea of their kids being involved in a non-Catholic Bible study. Um, and I don't, I don't really want to offer a commentary too much other than by saying that, uh, Paul, you ultimately found, um, through the leadership of your own Catholic youth ministry group eventually, and through your parents eventually, um, a, a rock-solid foundation in your Catholic faith that was ultimately introduced through the invitation of a Protestant Bible study. Um, yeah. So, totally. yeah, so, so think- nothing's off limits. Uh, <laughs> and uh, God can really use, God can really use a variety of means. So maybe just to speak to parents who might be worried at their kids' involvement with friends or school, um, you know, groups that, that are not Catholic, there's hope. And uh, I, I love, I love that aspect of your testimony because it's really, it's really true and really real. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I really am grateful for that. I certainly wouldn't want to have stayed in that place, especially looking back. Mm-hmm. But it was something that was a real intentional group of disciples that really formed me in the commitment to Jesus and in wanting to live like Him in the world, in the midst of high school, in the midst of all these, uh, in the midst of the darkness, right? So. I think the, the I think the challenge is that well, a lot of times our our Catholic ministries they just aren't Christocentric, and so the reason you were able to find what you found at that point is you found a for the first time I think in your life you found a Christocentric ministry that wasn't talking about all of the externals, but they were just talking about Jesus, and they introduced you to a person that you could know and have a relationship, and then once you knew him. It seems like then all the Catholic stuff starts making sense. Like all, uh, it, sometimes we talk about everything in the palace without talking about the king. And um, and when we talk about the king first, and then you fall in love with the king, and you're like, man, this king's amazing. And then you let the king take you around the palace, and you're like, I want everything that's here. But when it's just, look at this palace, look at all this, and you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't belong here. Uh, then you, you wander off. And I think that's what it was so cool is like, the Christocentric aspect of like a simple Bible study of people that are in love with Jesus just captures your heart to want more. Exactly. I think you put it beautifully. And I I think to reiterate the point is to really just say, ecclesiology follows Christology, not the other way around. So I think the reality of encountering Christ introduced me and softened my heart to encountering him and falling in love with the church. Amen. And so, um, 
that's really the second half, the second part. Um, the first part was this just being healed, I think, and being um, restored from a really broken place in the love of a community um, to then encountering Jesus in the Eucharist, which is the foundation and the, the source, right, of, of why personally I'm Catholic, obviously why the Church exists, period. But um, And that came through you guys, right, Aaron and Dan. And I promise I'm not a plant. And it didn't look good. But, like, I, honestly, um, so it was known that I would was in high school in Upper Arlington, where at the time Dan and Aaron, you guys were youth ministers, and I lived um, for, at St. Agatha and St. Andrews. And it was kind of known amongst this group of friends uh, that, you know, I, I was this Christian guy, and, and I had a couple friends, uh, one named Clayton uh, and Jamie, uh, who were involved, I think, at the time in your youth group. Yep. And they kind of started to try to get me to go to youth group and stuff like that. So I remember this one night, um, I, even though I was being healed and restored from all that bullying, I, I really do believe I had depression and, and anxiety and stuff like that from that, the experience of bullying in high school. So I remember one night um, I was sitting in my room and kind of as a product of, of those wounds, I really didn't do anything outside of a, a lot in early high school. I didn't ever go outside. I kind of stayed in my room. I was pretty insular in myself. And I just had this urge one night, though, to, to get up and go on a walk, which was so bizarre and so strange <laughs> for me. Um, and as context, I live two blocks away from St. Agatha. Mm-hmm. So I get up this one night, this Tuesday night, and I, with this random, strange urge to just go on a walk. And I went on a walk. And as I was walking past St. Agatha, Jamie, who was a person who was never late for anything, was running from her house into St. Agatha's, and she catches my uh, me walking towards St. Agatha out of the corner of her eye, and she yelled out to me. She's like, Paul, come to this youth group. You're going to love it. I know you will. And I was like, okay, I don't have anything else to do. So I walked <laughs> into the church and go down to the basement of St. Agatha, and in, like, I think it was the end of youth group, but it was like 30 seconds of, of Dan, I think, talking, and I think we were doing some praise and worship, and I was just like, oh, this is it. I don't know what it is about <laughs> it, but this is it. And um, from there, basically, Aaron and Clayton duped me into, uh, quote-unquote, being a counselor at the or- original version of CYSC, which was the Wild West compared to what it is now. <laughs> uh, but I, at, that, at camp that summer, I went to confession uh, for the first time, uh, and in since second grade, and I don't even count second grade. I mean, I know the Lord forgave my sins, but I don't count it because I had no idea what was happening. Uh, but I went to confession really for the first time intentionally, and it was beautiful. I, I went to, uh, there was a Marianite priest there for whatever random reason. Yeah. And the Marianite rite, they use a, I guess, kind of like a canopy. And when you give absolution, the canopy descends over, um, he puts, the priest puts the canopy over you, and then as he gives you absolution, he raises the canopy back up, right? It's this beautiful symbol and kind of sacramental experience of, of being in darkness and then being lifted out of that darkness. And uh, I went to confession to him, and it was incredible, and I, I genuinely felt this new life, this new weight being lifted off, off of my shoulders, and as so many people I know have experienced in the sacrament. Um, and then I went down to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, and I... I 
kneeled down. I just remember looking at Jesus in the Eucharist, and really for the first time in my entire life, just looking at him and saying, like, Lord, I know you're there. Mm-mm. I know you're real. I know you're there. And um, I was still super broken. I was so broken still that other people were, like, crying and having these super intense emotional experiences. And so I fake cried to try like, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I was still super broken, but I left with this profoundly deep in conviction. I mean, it was really just the grace. Um, yeah. Paul, the um, biggest question I have for you right now is where were your campers during this? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they were fine. I had another counselor. I'm sure they were gay. I'm sure they were fine. I'm That's sure they were fine. <laughs> um, like I said, it was the Wild West. Man. Parents, we have oh, we have higher God. standards today. Much higher. That's... Much, we would now never... Well, the encounter with Jesus would definitely happen, but... It would be with uh, the campers. Praise so. the Lord, Paul. That's such an awesome. That's such an awesome story. And believe it or not, I've known you for how many years, and I did not know that that was how you first got to youth group that night. That is Isn't that it, is like, so and cool. I, I always forget that part too, but it's so awesome. Like the Lord just works in providence, and and it's so good, man. It's, he's so awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah. So from there, I, you know, I, I started going to youth group and really was invest became invested in the church and understanding like. Like I said, Christology leads to good ecclesiology, and and honestly, Jesus and the Eucharist, and then you guys really catechizing us in a in a engaging way and an effective way, and introducing us to the person of Christ even more in prayer and um, yeah, just just youth ministry in general through you guys like profoundly changed my life. It changed the, my orientation towards Christ and the Church. Amen. Um, and so. Long story short, I, I end up uh, going to seminary for a year, discerned that the priesthood was not my call, um, and that I was really being called to some sort of mission life, to some sort of mission work um, as a layperson. And so I left seminary and uh, went to Franciscan University of Steubenville. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, just grew in, in love of Christ and, and uh, encountered the Lord in so many places, in so many ways. Um, but after college, um, I wound up, um, well, that's, I mean, do you want to hear that part of the story? Or, <laughs> uh, I don't know where you're going right now, but yes. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so I guess in, this would be the third part of the story. Is uh-huh. I, uh, my senior year of college, um, I think a lot of the insecurities and brokenness that I hadn't, still hadn't addressed from uh, middle school kind of came back haunt me, and I, I wound up in this relationship with a girl who um, who's a wonderful girl, awesome person, but we just developed a super codependent relationship, mm-hmm. and we eventually got engaged to try to save, in my mind, to save the relationship, and um, it became just, again, super codependent. We became more and more isolated the more time we spent with each other, and um, long story short, after college, we were engaged, and my parents thought, me down one night and said, look, this, this relationship is, is killing you, it's killing her. And like, neither of you are more full of life or more happy than, than you were before. Like, you really, this is a, you need to stop this. Yeah. So that was a huge call out, um, and it, it really got through to me. So we, we ended that relationship, and um, it was super embarrassing, super, um, I felt vulnerable yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, well, and Paul, I shared with you through that time that one of my favorite things is when 
people effectively discern out of engagements because it's a that's a huge risk and um yeah that opportunity for embarrassment and uh it 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 takes it takes some guts to realize that the path that you've committed to is not the path that the lord wants for you and to actually take action on it mhm yeah right so and it was that it was totally raw i felt really raw but in that rawness and that vulnerability the lord really worked and i wound up going to um a retreat that my wife now megan um was actually running from St. Matthew's Parish, mm-hmm. and it was called Restored. Uh, that was the theme of the retreat, and I, that's what I experienced there. It was just restoration, and all those old wounds and the new wounds from this relationship, the Lord spoke profoundly into that and, and healed a lot of those wounds and really confirmed me in my identity as a son of God. And, and really, and you know, we hear that all the time, like, you're a son or daughter of God, and I've heard that, and I had it intellectually in my head, but again, it's this idea of encounter, right? I encountered that reality and experienced that at that retreat. Mm-hmm. And little did I know, Jonathan Alexander, um, <laughs> who was part of Adore, who is the president of Adore Ministries, was actually our keynote speaker at that conference. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, like, in this moment of, like, really, I think, closing a chapter of my life from my wounds in high school and, and then college, um, the people who are there, Megan, who was running this conference, and Jonathan, who's the keynote speaker, were kind of, were already providentially in place. But little did I know that that was how, where the Lord was going to lead me. So, yeah. um, again... Paul, Paul, can I ask a ahead. question? I'm intrigued yeah, yeah. as to what your parents did or the kind of relationship you had with your mom and dad that when they brought a really difficult conversation to you, you you listened to them as opposed to rebelled. Um, yeah. what, what was it that led to that kind of a relationship where you had the openness to hear your parents challenge you as opposed to say, oh, forget about you and that become a, a wedge that was driven between you? Sure. I, I think, honestly, grace, part of that is, definitely great. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents raised me with love. Uh, they love me, and I know that. Like, that's just part of my life. And um, But on a more, I guess, story-based level, my parents were just as nominal Catholics, like I said. Um, and After confirmation, we stopped going to Mass. Um, but my dad actually wound up coming with us on a <laughs> service project I was doing in high school. And um, this is this is like my, one of my favorite experiences in all of my like, youth ministry yeah, I, at Saint Agatha. Like, so, again, like I think the Lord just just pro- improv <laughs> so faithful. We so, so we were leading the we were leading the youth ministry trip to Cranks Creek, yeah. Kentucky, and Paul was you were on our advanced team, which was a team of uh, eight or nine high school students and and me uh, who were going to go down and prepare the way, and I think it was. I don't know what I was planning on doing. We didn't have a driver. So um, I was, I was, I was tasked with the, with the responsibility, Dan and I of, of leading the spiritual lives and well-being of high school students. But when we were like 19 years old, <laughs> ourselves. But, but we were too young to drive them in a car. So, uh, so we needed a driver for that, for that weekend. And I remember, I, I remember we were, uh, we were questioning what to do. And I, I sent out a message to all of our, all of the team who was coming on that, on that advanced trip. And, um, sure enough, Paul says, my dad's willing to come. And I remember your dad showed up, Paul, and he, uh, he was in banking at the time, I think. And, um, the entire trip down, he was like, 
continue like finishing his work week because he was he was just very serious about about his work and very committed and on the phone and texting or not texting while he was driving but like taking breaks to answer emails and um uh he his life was changed through the invitation of his son to participate in this program so i yeah i was i actually had that written down i wanted to get back to that today yeah yeah so that's what happened he came and the way he described it to me was that his his hope was restored yeah um, i think he had some semblance of faith in high school and um was actively involved in his youth group at the time um and but lost that throughout college and stuff lost that sense of, of hope or a purpose mm-hmm. um and the way again he's described it to me is that he his hope seeing all these kids doing joyful service to to the least you know what the world considers the least um, in in Kentucky um, radically transformed his life and um, he went to confession mm-hmm. uh, for the first time in like twenty years thirty years something like that uh, and was just on fire. I mean, the moment that really established our relationship and our really restored and healed a lot of our father son relationship, um, was at the end of our service trip, you know, while we're there, we give testimonies about what the Lord did. And, um, and I, I can't remember if I was giving a testimony or my dad was, but one of us was up there talking and, and I think it was my dad and we just broke down (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and we both like and it was one of these just so like full of love and joy and, and just awesomeness uh we just got up in front of everybody and we didn't it wasn't like a show it wasn't for for effect like we just had this genuine moment of embracing each yeah. other like literally hugging and just crying like we just both mm-hmm. cried and and it was truly like my father loved me and, and and I, as his son, loved him, and, and God was the midst of that, in the midst of that, and, and giving his love in that. So it was so powerful, and that set a foundation for our relationship, my father and I's relationship. Um, that, I mean, still, like, it's the, uh, he's my best friend, he's my hero, like, he really, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then my mom, so we get back from that, and we're freaking on fire. We're like, yeah, Jesus! <laughs> my dad's going to daily mass, and, we're praying and stuff. And my mom, I, I never lost the sense of God in her life, but was definitely not, you know, a practicing Catholic either. Um, not an intentional disciple or however you want to define it. And I remember it, we started to really, you know, just pray and work as a, as a family to towards that, I guess, or hope for that. And um, one night, she's a jeweler. She's an artist. She has beauty, I think, is, is her... Uh, a way she relates to God really profoundly. Mm-hmm. And one night she'll tell, she told me, because she's a woman of prayer too, like she's super, she might be a little embarrassed me saying this, but uh, she's a woman of prayer and the Lord speaks to her powerfully. And one night she was, she has a jewelry bench in our basement and um, she was down there in her bench and she was just like felt inspired to go turn on EWTN. Uh, so plug Catholic Radio and EWTN, good job. Uh, <laughs> and she had had this question for a while, like, the place of art and artists in the church, um, which to me was like, there's well, obviously artists and art and beauty has a place in the church. Like that's our history. Right. But she, I think struggled with that for whatever reason. And she, she follows this inspiration, comes up, turns on the TV and it's John Paul II in the Sistine chapel 
talking about or reading, um, actually, I'm sorry, it was Benedict XVI reading John Paul II's mm-hmm. letter to artists in the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> and like from there, I, you know, I remember just her kind of similar thing. That was her moment, at yeah. least from my perspective of like, boom, like here it is, Jesus in the church. And she's now a third order Carmelite. Um, and, and my dad is obviously like still super faithful. And, and so all that to answer this question about relationships, really, he, the Lord, has restored and, and brought us closer than I think we could ever, I'm also an only child, by the way, yeah. um, brought us closer than we could ever imagine, honestly, as a family. And um, that was the relationship that we had that when my parents said, um, hey, you need to, to think about this relationship you're in with this girl and how it's not bringing either of you life. I think that was the foundation that brought us together yeah or made me what allowed me to hear them say that that's um, great thanks paul that was that was a that was a long tangent but a really good one <laughs> i love it i love it i think that's so amazing that you, a young person's relationship with jesus christ and his love for the catholic church led to his whole family's conversion and yeah. your mom um you know had had struggled and and was victorious over cancer and i just wonder like yeah. Uh, I remember when they were going through that, like what your family would have been like had you not been the witness. Your dad, mm. I don't know if you remember this, but your dad at that mission trip when you guys were having that embrace, he said, um, for our whole life, my son has been the spiritual leader of our family. And I make a commitment today in front of all of you that I'm going to become the spiritual leader of my family. And I just oh. like that was like. To me, that was just one of the most profound moments I've ever seen of like a father through his son realizing his own call of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And not that that's the way it necessarily should be, but just the the power and the potential that when we lead young people to faith in Jesus Christ and when they give this uh, all in zealous response to the gospel what can happen in their families and and we see that just exponentially now constantly in our ministry where young people can have this encounter with jesus christ in the eucharist and then they go home and you know a a seventh grader asking mom and dad hey i want to start going to mass every sunday well what's mom and dad gonna say (laughs) like no (laughs) we're gonna (laughs) sleep in like or no your sports are more important than the eucharist you know and like when the kid desires it it helps realign parents' priorities because they actually desired it at one point as well. Mm-hmm. And and you know, my might be surprising too is like how many kids actually yearn for that depth of a relationship with their parents. Um, I think I was, I was either Pew Research Group or Barna Research Group did a study recently, and it was like you know, seventy six percent of kids wish they had a deeper relationship with their parents, mm-hmm. and they might not express that on the outside. Um, all the time, right? Because I think that's the counterintuitive to the narrative that we hear about teenagers all the time. Like, teenagers just don't want to be around their parents. But honestly, that's what I've experienced both in my personal life, but as you're saying, too, in, in youth discipleship, that these kids, especially when they encounter Christ, like, they just want that depth of relationship with their parents. Um, and even if they've never encountered God in their whole life. And so I think it's to, to know for parents, like, your kids want you to be involved, um, and and your love, as like compounded on by the love of God, um, yeah. will set them up. Even if you know they were to run far, far away from the church or whatever, it will set them up with an image and a vision of God that that He truly loves them and is faithful to them. Um, that can give hope to you know wherever they are um, that they can come home, you know, and and they can be loved by 
you as parents, but also as um, by God the Father himself, right? Amen so, to that. Well, Paul, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll have, uh, we're going to have you come back and just share a little bit about how you're bringing um, people to an encounter with Jesus Christ in your marriage today. So, listeners, we will be right back. Ever wake up and have your brain just start racing, trying to solve every problem in your life? That's okay. Your brain's just doing what it's supposed to do. It's a problem-solving machine. And while that can be helpful, if you don't keep it in check, that can be really stressful. St. Paul tells us what to do in that situation. He wrote, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul wrote that from prison while awaiting trial and execution. So he had plenty of things to obsess about, but he didn't. He thought of things above, and that led to his peace and joy even behind bars. When you find yourself obsessing, read an uplifting book, or better, try the Gospel of John, or maybe pray a rosary. But whatever you do, get in the driver's seat of your own thoughts and focus on what lifts you up, not what drags you down. For more from my book, I am, visit rewriteyourname.com. I'm Chris Stefanik from Real Life Catholic. Johnette Benkovic. Did you know that I had been away from the Catholic faith for 10 years? I credit my grandmother's rosary for bringing me back home to our Holy Catholic Church. She had 13 grandchildren and prayed a rosary each day for each one of us. That's 13 rosaries a day. I know that it was Grandma's rosary that tilled the soil of my hardened heart to eventually bring me back to our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Women of Grace with Johnette Benkovic, Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. EWTN, Communicating the Faith. And I wanted to tell you guys how great your show is because uh, I listen to you guys for every, every day for the last past five and a half months. It's because of you guys that I came to the Catholic faith. Now I'm going to church on Sunday for the first time because I just got out yesterday from jail. And I got my mom to go too. And my girlfriend is also going with me. Wow. She's willing to give the Catholic faith a try. EWTN, Live Truth, Live Catholic. Welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people and lodge them in the lives of extraordinary mission. This is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And we are listening to the life-changing encounter of Paul Baum. But Paul, more than that, we want to hear about your extraordinary missionary lifestyle right now. Yeah, Paul, thanks for sharing already today. Um, man, that story is just awesome of of initial conversion, of introduction to the relationship with Jesus, and also uh, just how that has how that changed, transformed, healed a lot of the wounds that you were carrying in your own life, and then how that witness transformed your family. Uh, Paul, would you share with us just a little bit about kind of what what was that process after you and and Megan had married and started a life together of hearing God's call into domestic missionary work. Yeah, so it actually all happened kind of around the, the same time. Um, we got engaged um, in uh, 2012 and got married in October of 2013. And during our engagement, um, we really uh, were pretty intentional about asking God, like, well, well, what the heck do you want us to do as a married couple? Megan had been working as the youth minister for St. Matthew's for mm-hmm. a number of years, and um, I was just doing odd and end jobs outside of college. 
And so um, we had an opportunity, our pastor at the time, um, Father Adam Streitenberger, all, had always wanted Megan to come to Portsmouth um, and, and work down here for the parishes. Um, as a context, Megan's family grew up in Portsmouth, and Megan will say, like, she always, uh, as growing up as a kid, would be like, I never, ever want to work in Portsmouth. <laughs> um, uh, but obviously, providentially enough, uh, she, she now works here now. Uh, but as we were praying through that, um, Father basically came to us and said, look, I really do want you to be down here, and I'll actually offer Paul a job as well to be down here. Basically, he was like, I'll take Paul. He's not that great, but I'll take him. I really want Megan. <laughs> and if, if giving you both a job will do that, it'd be awesome. Um, which is totally understandable and the accurate perspective. Um, that's that's but, a nice thing about becoming uh, the two becoming one flesh, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's right. perks. And frankly, too, like part of it was like, I'm just pumped to have a job. But it was also like a job that I wanted to do. But I've been wanting a job in the church and, and mission life for a while. So he, he, father, invited us um, down there, and he officially gave us papers on the same day that we're doing our Theology of Marriage class that we had to do as, as part of our marriage <laughs> So we have our Theology of Marriage class in the morning. We have father meets with us at lunch and hands us papers. Un- we didn't know this was going to happen. He hands us papers and was like, here's your salary. Here's what I want you to do. Sign these papers. So we're like, uh, okay, I guess we're doing this. Then that night, Annie Hickman, again, who was uh, the president of Adore at the time, was randomly in town. And he's from Houston, Texas. And, you know, I, I don't know if he'd ever been, or he'd been to Columbus like once before, but there's no reason that he should have been in Columbus, really. Um, but he was in town. And so we met with him um, and that evening, and he was like, well, hey, this sounds perfect for Adore. Because um, Adore's mission basically is to support uh, people who work in parishes or work in communities that again, don't have the resources um, that necessarily uh, a suburban parish might have or the amount of support that a bigger parish might have uh, financially, but also um, uh, other Mm resource-wise. So um, he was, any at that moment, like, dude, this sounds perfect. We'd love to support you going to Portsmouth. Um, And from there, you know, I was immediately on board. It took Megan, I think, Megan's a much more thoughtful person sometimes. I'm very impulsive, um, and that can be good and bad. But Megan's much more thoughtful, and so she took some more time to really, really work through it. And I uh, was pretty immediately convicted, like, yes, this is was what the Lord wants us to do. And so uh, in October of 2013, we uh, got married. In November, we moved down to Portsmouth. And in December, we got pregnant with our first, uh, we have three kids with our, our first uh, son, Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really, like, it all happened very quickly for us, um, and engagement was the time in which we really invited the Lord to show us where the mission was, so that when we got married, it was like, okay, mission time, go. Um, and I'll say this, like, Portsmouth uh, is awesome. We love living down here. Uh, the nickname for Portsmouth we have now is, is Comeback City USA. Uh, <laughs> it used to be the, the prescription drug abuse capital of America, and we do have a, a fairly substantial uh, drug uh, opioid epidemic down here, um, as so many other communities have. But honestly, right now there's a huge push in our community for for restoration, um, literally restoring buildings um, and and bringing in new business and just reinvigorating the city. But 
I think I've always looked at Portsmouth um, with a great sense of hope and that the ultimate comeback and my ultimate dream for Portsmouth is that it is uh, a place where not only the buildings are restored, but people have had this encounter with Jesus and the sacraments that restores them, and, and they're living that comeback story in their own life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the things we love to say is that when, um, you know, when Jesus Christ commissioned the, the disciples, he said, uh, he, he, he told them to go into the nations and to bring the gospel to the nations. He didn't say to bring the gospel to individuals, but the Lord had this hunger to actually win over cities and states and yeah. nations. And, and I've seen that in you and Megan and, and all the missionaries of Adore. It's not a, it's not like, oh, I'm going to work in this parish. It's that I've, I've yeah. been sent to Portsmouth to restore an entire city that is broken and in need of Jesus Christ. And, and I think that's like the heart of ministry. And we can't just say like, hey, well, I mean, honestly, that's the, that's the reason we have parishes in the first place. It was like, this is a mm-hmm. geographical boundary that, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed by this pastor, you know, or yeah. by this minister. Mm-hmm. And like, as mm-hmm. ministers of the gospel, we have to say, okay, this is a city I've been placed in, and God wants me to claim this city for him. He doesn't want me to, you know, talk to the the few kids that will come to youth group. He actually yeah. wants me to restore an entire city. And I, I've been just impressed by the way you and Megan have that mentality of ministry that God doesn't want a few kids in your parish. God wants your city. Yeah. Is so, it, and, and is I, that a call? Is that, that a call just for professional that. ministers or no? No, that's a call for right. everyone, right? Like if you're if <laughs> yeah, you yeah. if you're a Catholic, you're you're in full time ministry. Like you were baptized, and the moment of your baptism, you were baptized into full time ministry. And so, if you aren't living full time ministry life, um, you uh, sorry, you're not actually fulfilling your vocation. <laughs> well, so, so, so we we could talk because I think I think Adore has really convicted us of that. Um, part yeah. of our mission statement is like it's the baptismal call of everybody, like you said. And really what we take super seriously um, is, is accompaniment and loving our neighbor. So accompaniment for us isn't just like the buzzword that uh, I think a lot of us use it now, and it can mean different things to different people, but we take it super seriously in that we are incarnational in the sense that we really look at the people who live with us um, in our community specifically um, as Jesus, like they are Jesus, and so we need to love them in that and accompany them and show them that love, um, period. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's really what I experienced in that Bible study I was talking about was they just loved me. Like, they they didn't try any strategy. It wasn't like cool graphic design or um, some, like, program, although those things can be helpful, sure. But really the ultimate thing that they did was just they just loved me, um, and that led me to Christ. And so we take that seriously, and we embody that by taking seriously the idea of loving our neighbor Um, and we take that literally so megan and i live across from um some government housing and we encouraged and challenged by a door and the people in a door to do this we really take that literally like go love your neighbor and so um we've seen a lot of fruit from that too so we actually had a family um come into the church by just being in a relationship with them uh, their son, again, like you're saying, kids coming to youth group changes families. Their son came to youth group. He became Catholic, and um, that was two years ago, three years ago now. And they recently, they got through all uh, some annulments and stuff. And this Easter, both the mom and the dad came into the church. And it was yes, praise the Lord. Like, Let's give a yeah, praise break. So Thank awesome. you, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we worship you. We praise yeah, you. Amen. Right? So, like, so like, and, and they were so passionate, and, and they didn't just come in the church as going through the motions. They 
want Jesus in the Eucharist, and that's why they came in the church, and it's so awesome. Um, we have another uh, a family, uh, a, gr- a woman named whose name is Kyrie, like she lives yeah, next Kyrie. to the church. Her name is Kyrie, and we really like we take her to work. We we my wife um, took her sons and our our kids to the park yesterday. Like <laughs> these are people who I think a lot of times the world would discount, and again, not because we're awesome, but we were challenged to love our neighbor um, by the people that we work with and adore. We've, we've tried to be intentional in that, and um, through the, the questions and the challenges and the awkwardness that that can bring, like, mm-hmm. there's been so much fruit still Amen. Uh, of loving our neighbor. So, Amen. you know, like, that's what we see. Adore, we see ourselves as missionaries, but in the sense of of living out the mission life and in just inviting other people into that yeah. by loving them. Well, we're gonna um, so, we're gonna close, Paul. And uh, man, your story's been so inspirational. Thank you for sharing. And um, I, I want to echo just that call that you've made in in kind of our our time of prayer and and really to, to charge our listeners today to grab on to so many different aspects of what you're doing. So uh, let, let's close the day in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you for the work that you're doing through Paul and Megan and the work that you've done through their family and their life. God, I pray that you would do that in every one of the lives of our listeners today. Jesus, that if if we have ourselves or have family members who are in need of that encounter moment, that spark, that invitation to you, God, that by whatever means necessary that you'd provide it. And then, Lord, lead us down the path toward maturity. Um, lead us down the path toward inspiring and changing our families. Grow us together as we grow in relationship with you and give us the grace to say yes to you whatever that call might be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us on the show. If, if people want to hear about Encounter, what what's the website? I'm not Encounter. I'm sorry, Adore. Adore. <laughs> um, AdoreMinistries.com. Um, we are looking for anyone who's interested in being a missionary. We'd love to get me to um, and connect you with people who yeah. can help you discern that call. Good. Um, we also are looking for support as well, so... If you're interested in supporting Megan and I down here in Portsmouth, um, there's a donation tab on our page. You can look up more about us and connect with us. We'd love to share Praise the Lord. more of our stories. Yeah. Well, thank you. So you've been listening to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people and launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. This is a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio. If you want to learn more about our show or how you can share your life-changing testimony with our audience, visit EncounterRadio.org. That's EncounterRadio.org, and we will be back next week.